Homo sapiens or Homo stultus? How the Russia-Ukraine conflict brings up the question of our human stupidity. I was born in Belgium of Ukrainian and Bulgarian parents. My father, Grigori Masenko, was Ukrainian. He had met my mother in a refugee camp in Germany right after World War II. Of full Bulgarian origin, she had been taken by the Nazis in the Soviet Union during the war and luckily wound up in Dresden as a nanny in a Nazi military doctor's household where she was well-treated when the doctor was home, but badly treated, deprived of the food she was entitled to by the mistress of the house when the husband was in the field. My mother fled when we, the U.S., the Allies, bombed Dresden and was picked up by an elderly farm lady in Bavaria, in Germany, as she was dying on the roadside. She was nursed back to life by that lady's family. I start that way because I know so much more about my mother than I do about my father. And to point out, as my mother always said, never to judge people according to their origins or group, but consider how each behaves as an individual. The two married. My mother's wedding dress was made from an American parachute at that time fabricated from white silk. I have pictures of that. They crossed over into Belgium ten days before I was born, in the Rhin-Astrid Hospital in Charleroi. My father went to look for work and was sent to the Belgian coal mines with words that explained that when he learned French, he could look for something else. My father was an architect from a family where three generations had been architects. My mother, when I was an adult, told me how my paternal grandfather, also a refugee in Germany after the war, paraded with his walking stick, a very dignified man. I know nothing else about him. While working in the coal pits, my father also became very active in the Ukrainian liberation and anti-Soviet movement. I have a picture of my father and friends around the portrait of Taras Shevchenko, a famous Ukrainian writer, one picture that my father had created from the bottom ends of bottles. My father learned French in two years and went to look for a job outside of the mines. He was told that the mines was all he could hope for. Though he had wanted to be an artist, when he was a young man in the Soviet Union, he had only been allowed to start study architecture, as that is what the Soviets needed. He had designed communal housing, which had actually been built. He brought his designs for other projects he had dreamt of, but had not been allowed to build. The Belgians had nothing but the coal mines to offer him. Frustrated, disappointed beyond measure, even though he and my mother had applied to emigrate to Canada, he went on going to mine pits. But one day, without any explanation, he disappeared. Friends told my bewildered mother that he was seen being escorted into a Soviet ship in Antwerp. This was at the beginning of the Cold War at the end of the 1940s 
and his pro-Ukrainian anti-Soviet activities had caught up with him. Alone with me, speaking very little French, in a post-World War II country which had a hard time providing for its own citizens, my mother quickly became destitute, forced out of her apartment, unable to get any job to earn anything. She moved in with another refugee family, only to be driven out by the unwelcome advances of the man of that house. It was then that one Sunday, in an older refugee's family, I saw a face I liked from the vantage point of the cupboard I was cleaning. Yes, I was a weird two-and-a-half-year-old, one who liked super clean things. I looked up at that face, climbed on his knee, then asked, Will you be my papa? Guess what? He became my papa. He was yet another refugee, a mechanical engineer from the Soviet Union who had been taken prisoner of war by the Nazis, had managed to escape, wind up in our third army, and yet became just another cold miner in post-war Belgium. I have a picture of him with two fellow American soldiers. Papa was from the Caucasus region of Russia, the only son of a Ukrainian widow and a Russian widower. His mother had died giving birth to another son when Papa was only two and his father died when he was eight, just as the Soviets were taking over that Caucasus region. An orphan, he was turned away by both his half-brothers and half-sisters, becoming one of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of street children in the first years of the Soviet state. The Soviets took him, fed, closed him, and most important, educated him. He became a mechanical engineer in the Sofhoz, that is a giant state farm, then went to fight against the Nazis. When, after the war, he was about to be repatriated, he welcomed that. On his way back to the Soviet Union, he ran into a friend by accident and was told by him that, as someone who had been with the Allies and worked with them, he would be sent to Siberia or executed. Besides, hadn't he sworn as a soldier that he would kill himself before letting himself be taken by the enemy, by the Nazis? Papa changed course. He proclaimed himself a Pole and managed the interrogation process. He gave himself a new birth date, the 25th of November. The survivor, the street child, was strong. My mother and papa faced many challenges. Since my father had disappeared without a trace, they couldn't get married. It was one of the things which made it almost impossible at that time for them to come to America. It was only thanks to a Methodist minister helping refugees wanting to come here that they finally made it in 1956. My whole life was colored by that past. As a young child, my mother and papa never told me about my father. However, 
Sometimes when I looked up, I saw a different face from Papa's. Besides, there were factors that led me to feel that nothing was what it seemed. For instance, why was I, supposedly of Russian heritage, taken to a Ukrainian camp as a five-year-old? Why was I, an Orthodox, given over to Catholic nuns at that time? By the way, I loved the camp, and one of the young nuns became my favorite. I still remember a very patriotic Ukrainian poem from that time that includes in Ukrainian, I am a true daughter of the Ukraine. Yavirna dotsa Ukraini. I had quite forgotten that my first language was Ukrainian and not the Russian we spoke once we moved in with Papa. Still in Belgium, at around the age of seven, I managed to open a trunk one day. There were my father's designs. I remember one that remains so clear in my head. A 270-degree circular house with a garden in what can be looked at as a hole in an open donut. There was also a portrait of me. I confronted my mother and papa with those. Reluctantly, they told me about my father. When I asked why they had not told me before, my mother explained that she wanted me to think of my papa as my real janitor. My mother and papa did not bring those drawings to the U.S. In the States, both my mother and papa wound up working as in factories. My mother often sewing clothes for places like Saks Fifth Avenue, Papa in Bogue Electric, valued because they understood that he was something, even asking him to help their professionals with some little points. Mama, my mother, and Papa did what they could, getting away from the mainstream of refugees, settling among Americans. You see, many in the immigrant community were not compassionate. My papa was constantly prodded to leave my mother and me. Why, he was taunted again and again, was he taking care of a girl who was not even his own? Why was he even sending her to college when he should be marrying her off? And until they were able to marry, papa could never even go to parents' nights in school. Society in the 50s and 60s was not as accepting of many things as it is today. Yet, my mother and papa let me dream and go on, not only to college, but one of the seven sisters, Mount Holyoke, an elite woman's institution before the Ivy League opened its doors to women. They only married when I was in college, having declared my father dead. Even I, had to testify before the judge at that time that he really had disappeared. But was he dead? I never really searched, nor will I. Why? I was angry that he had not considered me and my mother, that he had, in my mind, valued his patriotism towards the Ukraine more than he valued us, that he had not put up with what my mother and papa put up with to try to provide for me. Yet, 
that background continued to haunt me as I hurt by it was driven to work for peace and understanding so that adults and children would not go through what I had gone through. It is what made me, with the wrong background, fight to get into the United Nations, which I saw as a place where conflicts might be solved in a more civilized way. It was what led me to do it first as an interpreter in the early 70s, when getting a professional position as a woman was still incredibly hard. That, by the way, was the time I asked Papa to adopt me, and I took his last name, Androsov, one which I bear more than proudly. But being an interpreter was not enough. I wanted to be more than a well-paid paraclete in a glamorous surrounding. I wanted to be on the ground. So I went back to school, managing to get into Fletcher and the UN's second management training program. That led me to Africa as a development person, then to the Food and Agriculture Organization, and finally as an electoral officer in Cambodia, South Africa, and Mozambique. Can you imagine? I became the chief of civic education for the UN's observer mission for the election that brought in Mandela. Yet, even that was not enough. As I was looking for real bridging processes, it was what propelled me to become the program director of the Global Forum of Spiritual and Parliamentary Leaders. It is what made me apply to be the president of the Thanksgiving Foundation and give it all I had in the eight years I was in that position and still proudly be its active representative to what is now known as the Civil Society Unit of the UN's Department of Global Communications. In the 1990s, when I was in my 40s and had done the electoral work in countries that had been plagued by armed conflict, my mother and papa surprised me with a new take on my father. They told me that when he could not get a job outside of the mines in Belgium, he had asked my mother to go back to the Soviet Union with him. She, who was the daughter of a well-to-do leading family in a Bulgarian town on the Sea of Azov, and had been sent as an enemy of the people to one of Stalin's first camps in the north of Russia, refused. So, did my father board that ship in Antwerp? of his own free will, they did not know, and I have given up on the facts. What I do know is that what I went through because he was not there has made me what I am. And now, as an elder, I'm facing another horror, an armed conflict between Russia and the Ukraine, a spear being thrown at me. For me, no side is right. And no side is wrong. For me, it's just one more aspect of us. So-called wise men, homo sapiens, being cruel to each other, using deadly, cruel, physical means to deal with problems. I cringe at our common human blindness, our frankly speaking stupidity which makes us homo stultus in not accepting the fact that we depend upon each other 
on this little planet that we have to learn to somehow share and treasure if we are to survive. As the founder of Thanksgiving Square, the Thanksgiving Foundation always said, give thanks for the gift of life and for each other. Will we ever do it?